right. Man, you guys gotta settle down, all right? I mean, this is church for crying out loud. No, it is Easter, and what a difference a year can make, amen? I mean, my word. Yeah. And I know there's still quite a few folks at home, and and that's why we're going to continue to have an aggressive online presence. But as we do open things up more and more, it is just so good to see so many of you here and at other campuses and, and venues. I mean, it's just, you know, it's been a rough year for a lot of folks. It's also been a banner year for some folks. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about right now for about 30 minutes uh, exactly, you know, what does God God want to do given a year that we've had? What does he offer us given the year that we've come out of? And then even more importantly and more on our minds, what does he offer us as we look ahead in our lives? That's what many of you have come in here today wondering, even if you can't verbalize this, is that as you look on the horizon of your life, given the year that we've had, you know, what is there and, and, and where is God and what does he offer us in all of that? So you're in a good place today to have that discussion. And we're going to tie it, as is appropriate on, on Easter, to this idea of Jesus' resurrection. So why don't you bow with me and let's pray, and then we're going to dive right in. Father, there is a lot of energy today, uh, especially as we've allowed our creative arts teams to celebrate something that for 2,000 years has fired up Christians to no end, this idea that Jesus rose from the dead. And Father, I pray that as we focus on that now, that you'd give us wisdom and insight, not just into the historical reality of the resurrection, but as to what that might mean for our lives today. And Lord, even more, what that might mean as we look on the horizon of our lives coming off the year that we have. Lord, we live in tenuous times for many very difficult times. We need a a jolt from you, and we pray that you give that to us now. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen. So here is something that I know about you, even though you might say, well, you don't know me, but I know this about you, and that is that if you have something tangible on the horizon of your life, like say a vacation that you're planning for, or maybe a new purchase that you're excited about, or a love interest if you're single that you are, are, that's looking good, or maybe even if you're sick, a medical procedure that looks helpful, when, when you have something tangible on the horizon of your life, something that is not yet realized, but within your grasp, here's what I know about you, you feel better about your life. Every human being does. Psychologists actually have a name for this phenomenon. It's called hope. That when there's something on the horizon of our life that is not yet realized, but we can finally visualize, though we can't see it all, we call that hope, and it makes us feel good about our lives. In fact, it can completely change one's mood. My brother Pete, my little brother Pete's been in an amazing mood lately. I say my little brother Pete, he's a year younger than me. He lives in Michigan with his wife Lori, but Pete stands three inches taller than me. I mean, he's always been that way. He's been a bigger guy than I am, which is really not hard to be that way, I guess, because I'm only five foot seven. But Peter is also the opposite of me in temperament. Whereas I'm type A, Peter's type B, where I'm, you know, very hard driving. My brother's very laid back. In fact, my wife describes it best when she's asked to describe the difference between me and my brother. She'll say, he's the nice one. So you get the idea. (laughs) 
And he is. My brother's one of the nicest guys you ever meet. Everybody that meets Pete likes him. But it doesn't mean that he's always in a good mood, especially with his older brother. In fact, many times, you guys will love this, I, I call him probably once a week or so, and he's more of an introvert, obviously, and I, I call him. And I would say, you know, at times in the past, maybe half the time, it would ring once, it would ring twice, and then it would go into voicemail. And I know what he did. Because if it rings five times and goes into voicemail, it means they didn't hear the call. But if it goes into voicemail after two rings, it means he pushed a button on his phone and said, I don't want to talk to my brother. And yet lately, that's not happening. Lately, when I call him over the last two months, he picks up right away and he's always in a good mood. And I know why. Uh, their, their youngest is now in college, and so they're empty nesters, and uh, they decided, given the heightened housing values, that it was time that they sell their house in Michigan. They live about a block off Lake Michigan, and so they got a pretty penny for their house with the housing market the way it is right now, and they sold their house, and they are moving, and they're going to move into a little small apartment. And they're going to do so because they're going to wipe the slate clean financially, pay off all their debts from college and stuff, and they're going to start over. And they're so excited about this adventure because they don't know where God's going to lead them, but they're looking for him to lead them. And they're talking about maybe you know, traveling more and visiting places and asking God, where does he want them next? And it's such an exciting adventure for them that it's put them both in a wonderful, wonderful mood. You and I can all relate to that. That when there's things on the horizon of our lives, even things not yet realized, they haven't sold their house, it closes this week. They haven't gone in a new apartment, that's next week. They don't even know where they're going. So a lot of things unrealized, but we know what that feeling is like, we call it hope. And it buoys our spirits as it lifts our, our, our sights to the horizon of what might be. You see, here's what the Bible affirms, and that is that hope is one of the most powerful human and divine motivators we have. Hope gives us the sense that there might be something better than the current mundaneness of our lives, or that there might be something better than even the current difficulty of our lives. In almost every major biblical player that you can read about in the Bible that it tells us about, they went through periods of time where life was difficult and there was hope on the horizon tied to God. And that hope did something to their spirit. Truly, hope is one of the greatest friends that our souls had has. And the reason that this is so important for a day like today is that the resurrection of Jesus, what we're celebrating here this Easter weekend, is all about hope. It's true. It's all about hope. In fact, I'll say it even stronger. In every way imaginable, in every area of our life, the resurrection is our hope. It is the most foundational aspect of hope that you and I can have if we choose to make it so. I want to show you this. In our time remaining, I want to share with you three primary ways that the resurrection of Jesus brings hope to our lives today. Living in the 21st century, coming off a year of pandemic with all that we're going through. Three ways that the resurrection of Jesus can buoy our spirits much more than moving to a new house or buying a new vehicle or even having a new love interest. The resurrection of Jesus can set our sights on the horizon in a way that can be life transforming. And here is the first way that that happens. And that is that the resurrection of Jesus, now watch this offers a here and now hope. It's true, it offers a here and now hope. And some of you are saying, well, okay, that sounds kind of simple, but it's actually rather complex and profound when you think about it, and here's why. 
Something that happened 2,000 years ago, I'm suggesting to you, can offer a hope in the present. 2,000 years ago is a long time. Do we all agree on that? In fact, historians call that era 2,000 years ago antiquity, which sounds very old to me. The 2,000 years ago, when Jesus rose from the dead, for us to submit that that can bring a present tense hope is pretty radical. And it's pretty mind-blowing when you think about it. But that's exactly what I would submit before you because this is what the Bible affirms. I want to read a passage for you from the Bible right now that uh, most people don't read on Easter Sunday, but it should almost be read every Easter Sunday because it links the hope back then of the resurrection with our lives today. Look at what it says. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 4. It says, For indeed he, Jesus, was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. But we also are weak in him, yet we shall live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. Notice here that it's linking in these first three lines something that happened 2,000 years ago with you and me living today. And what's the link? It tells us that Jesus was crucified because of weakness. What does that mean? Well, we've been spending the last six weeks at our church understanding that. At our church leading up to Easter here, we were looking at the, the words of Jesus on the cross as he was crucified. And you might remember that we noted a couple of times during this series, Rustin did and then I did, that it was the Roman governor, governor that put Jesus on the cross as well as the Jewish leaders that put Jesus on the cross. And they did so unjustly. They did so by seeing him as a criminal guilty of a crime that he really didn't commit. It was unfair. And that's what the Bible is saying here, that Jesus was crucified because of weakness, human weakness, but as we've also noted, God had a plan through all of this, and that is that God knew that Jesus would be put on the cross. This was his son. He had planned it for all of eternity to bear the weight of our sins, to be our atoning sacrifice so that we might come to God. And so that's what this means. He lives because the power of God defeated sin and rose Jesus from the dead. That's the gospel. Now, it then puts it in light of our lives. It says, now we also are weak in him. What does that mean? It just means even if you're a follower of Jesus, you get beat up sometimes. Can you own that here today? You go through years like you just went through. Difficult times in our lives, in our marriage, with our kids, with our emotions, our jobs, living in a fallen world, in a fallen culture. There's not one of us, no matter how strong we are, that don't get beat up in this fallen world. We are weak at times. But here's the point. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is now the power of God directed toward you. Don't miss that. This is the hope. In other words, Christians say all the time, God help me, God heal me, God give me this. What most Christians don't understand is that when God does that and he does that a lot, he's using the same power that he gave Jesus to rise from that dead, now coursing through your spiritual veins. Does that blow you away or what? Paul the apostle got so excited about this idea, this great theology that he wrote these words in Philippians 3. He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
poetic words, and he's simply saying this. He's simply saying, I want to die to the things that are keeping me from God and holding me back, and and I want to live with power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. And you see, that's the point, gang, that we have power in our daily lives. Why? Because of the resurrection, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead for those of us who believe can be power in our daily lives. That's why I say the resurrection of Jesus gives us a here and now power. And what we need to realize is that this is power in our everyday lives. So it's not just a church Sunday power. It's a power Monday through Saturday in your marriage, your friendships, your job, your working relationships, your finances, your kids, your emotions. It's a power that he gives us every day to see on the horizon of our lives that God is there and he offers us a better day if we will but trust him. That's what the resurrection does for you. I had a wild thing happen to me this uh, past week. I was a getting finished with my study one day, and my wife said to me, she said, oh, good, you're done. I want you to drive me over to Abby, Abby's house. Abby's our middle daughter. She's 29 years old, lives in an apartment here, and, I, and, and she wants to try on clothes and, and help me pick out clothes for her trip to Austin this weekend. And I thought to myself, I'd rather poke needles in my eyes than do something like that. Like, I, I mean, I just got done studying the Word of God for crying out loud, and you want me to go watch my daughter put on clothes that I don't care about at all. But see, I don't say things, men. I've been married 35 years. You don't say that in that moment. You think it, you don't say it. So I said, honey, I would just love to drive you over to Abby's. And, and so I did. I got in the truck, and I drove Kim over to Abby's, and I brought a book, but she's got a small apartment. I'm sitting there reading in her apartment. I thought, this is as bad as I thought it would be. So I... I looked at Kim and I said, do you mind if I go for a walk? I have to ask permission for everything in my house. And she said, go for your walk. So I, I went out for a walk and I was walking along the green belt there and, uh, and just buying some time. And it was a busy day, lots of people walking. And there was this couple in front of me, I noticed. And for about a half mile, I, I walked behind them and then they did their turn. And obviously we're, we're not doing a loop, but doing a, a, a out and back. And as they turned, they saw me and they said, oh, hi, Pastor Jamie. And I didn't know them. And again, some of you think you're bothering me when you do that. You're not. I love that. Especially when my only other option is to go back to the apartment, you know. And <laughs> so I'm thinking, let's stay and talk. And so I, I, I love meeting new people. And I found that this is a younger couple in our church, maybe in their 30s and uh, no kids. And, and just, you know, he's wildly successful in his business here in Scottsdale. They've been Christians for about 15 years. I'm asking them all these questions. And they, they met at a church and, and just a wonderful redemptive story. And, and then they shared this. I said, so what's going on in your life right now? And they got kind of quiet for a second. And they said, well, you know, we know a lot of people have been struggling through the pandemic, but, but not us. They said, God has been doing something in our lives like that's just blowing us away that we never saw coming. And I said, wow, well, tell me about that. And though they only told me about eight to 10 minutes of their story, my curiosity was so piqued, I'm gonna get with them in a few weeks and hear more, but I'll tell you what I heard because it's relevant today. They said that, that, that they are kind of tired of the Scottsdale rat race and you know he's wildly successful, but it's just been a real pressure on them. And so they decided in the pandemic, since they could move anywhere during this time and with his job, that they'd move to Mexico. 
I was like, Mexico? Like, no offense to Mexico, but most people aren't running to Mexico during the pandemic. And of course, I'm thinking, you know, like Cozumel or Cabo or something like that. And they're like, no. And they told me where they went in Mexico. It's like just north of Mexico City. And I'm like, oh, really? I, I go, well, why would you go there? They said, well, we picked this really small town where there's very little technology and things are really, really slow because we wanted to slow our spirits down. And as we did that, God met us there in a phenomenal way. And it was so life-giving that now that we're back here, we're planning the next place to go to. And they, they mentioned where it was. It was really far away as well. They said, we don't know what God's going to do, but we can't wait to see what he does next. Now, and again, I'm not suggesting that all of you follow suit with that. Here's the point of that story. Here's why I want to hear more. I, I want to know what that hope is about for them. Because as they slowed their lives down and focused on this resurrected Jesus, they're experiencing what I'm telling you can happen to you too. They're experiencing some hope. There's something on the horizon of their life that God is doing that's bringing them out of the mundane or whatever's frustrating them in the moment. And that's what God does. God is a God who gives hope in the here and now. And that story I just told you, I hear those all the time. One of the wonderful privileges I get being the pastor of this church is that I get a front row seat on a regular basis to peer into people's souls and see what God is doing. And if you need some hope here today, coming off the year that you just came off, please hear this. He is a God who gives you hope in the here and now through the resurrection of his son. Simply put, if he can raise his son from the dead, he can handle your problems, amen? Because that's what he does. Now, we're fast running out of time, and so let me share with you the second way that the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. And we're gonna switch gears significantly here, but this is what the Bible does, and that is that the resurrection of Jesus offers us an eternal hope. So it's not just a hope in the here and now, but he also offers us through the resurrection and eternal hope. Let me not mince words. He offers us the hope of heaven and that the afterlife is not a nebulous wish or something that we kind of like the word, the, the way our culture uses the word that we hope for, but heaven becomes a sure hope, a certainty based on the resurrection. Let me show you what I mean. This is a passage I'm going to read for you just in a second here, but before I read it, let me give you the context here because I love what the Bible does uh, in a literary sense here. Hey, have you ever seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life? Raise your hand if you've ever seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, most of you older people. Younger people, you need to watch that movie too. <laughs> Believe me, you'll cry, I promise you. I, I don't cry, I hardly ever cry. I watch It's a Wonderful Life and I cry at the end of it and I try not to. It's Jimmy Stewart and, and, and again, spoiler alert, what the movie is about is what would happen, what if George Bailey, who's the main person in the movie, was never born? So George Bailey's feeling bad about himself, life stinks, and so he goes through his whole scenario, what would happen if he wasn't born, and they show that life is better with George Bailey in it. So I won't say anything more, That's it's a wonderful life. The Bible does the same thing here with the resurrection of Jesus. What if the resurrection never happened? Look at what it says. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, meaning died, have perished. You're no more. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. It's true. The first fruits of those who are asleep. 
So, so track what it's doing here. I kind of love the little game it's playing here. It's saying that if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then two or three things, three things would happen. First, your faith is worthless. Why? Because <laughs> your faith is in a dead man for crying out loud. Your faith is in somebody who's still in the grave. Your faith is in somebody who had some wonderful philosophical insights, but is no more. And you don't want to put your faith in something like that. That's logic number one. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, you're still in your sins. Why? Because he claimed to die on a cross for your sins. And he claimed to be the son of God come from heaven and one who's going to return to heaven. And if you can't even defeat death, then how can you forgive you of your sins? That's point number two. And then three to our point today, if he's not been raised from the dead, then when you die, (laughs) not to be morose about it, but you're going to follow him in that. Meaning you're going to follow him in being six feet under, no more you will have perished. But then he says, in playing this game, but he has been raised from the dead, meaning all of these three things are the opposite. Your faith is worth the weight of gold, you have your sins forgiven, and here's the point, heaven is a guarantee. Wow, heaven is guaranteed to those who follow Jesus and trust in him because your sins are forgiven. You and God have a wonderful relationship and the rest of your life is preparing for eternity with him. That's the hope that the Bible gives. Now, I wanna be very careful about how I say what I'm gonna say next. (laughs) I, I think a lot about heaven. I don't think I'm so heavenly minded that I'm no earthly good, but I do think a lot about heaven because of just the way I think and the hope that God gives us. And one of the things I'm encouraged about in our modern culture is that when I read, and I read a lot of news and stuff going on today, I'm encouraged that even though our culture is becoming increasingly less churched, that there are still a lot of people who have a spiritual side to them. Have you ever noticed that? Like Hollywood elites and politicians and and people, they have a spiritual side to them. And and they too talk a lot about the afterlife. I I hear that a lot. Somebody will die and and they'll say, oh, well, so-and-so must be looking down on us now or they're in a better place and what have you. And, and, And I read that quite often. Again, among people that don't go to church and don't read the Bible or anything like that, they something in them tells them that this life is not all there is and that there's an afterlife, there's a heaven. Now, here's where I wanna be careful what I say, because I'm not judging it, I'm just curious. When I read that, and I read that on a regular basis, I I, I wanna email those people, but I'm not one of those kind of guys. I I wanna have a conversation with them, and I wanna ask them one simple question when I hear them say that, and that is, how do you know? Like when somebody says, you know, that that so-and-so died and I can't wait to see them in heaven or they're looking down on me smiling, I love that thought. That's why I'm not judging it. I mean, I'm a pastor for crying out loud. I'm the one who should be first in line saying, that's a great thought, and I do. But I want to ask, how do you know? Like, are you saying that is something you think might be true or something that you just hope might be true? Or is there any surety behind your words? Because I'd ask them how they know, and I know what answer they'd give me 99 times out of 100. They'd give me that infamous deer in the headlights look in which they'd say, well, I just know it. And then if they were at all having a combative personality, which I hope they would, because that's my love language, if they had that kind of personality, what I would hope they would say to me next is, well, smarty pants, how do you know that you're going to heaven? And I'd say, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) 
Because you see, I just happen to have a Bible here right now. And this book informs me about the truth of God. And let me tell you what this book says. This book says that all of us are lost and bound for not heaven if we die. But God, who loves us so much, decided to send his son Jesus to forgive us of our sins and show us the way to heaven. In fact, I'm so glad that you asked that Jesus, when he was on this earth, once said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you so. And I go to prepare a place for you. And that for those of us who believe and trust in him, we got a room waiting there that makes the nicest room here look like a dump. And that that's what we have to look forward to. And that's how he can be sure that I'm going to heaven because my savior promised me that. And my savior has said, it's a guarantee in my life. Amen. Now, at that point, I'm no dummy. I know that someone would be saying, man, you're awfully excited about that. And, and then they'd say, because this is where our world thinks, well, that's good for you. You just happen to believe that. And, you know, and I'm not sure I believe that. And then I'd say this in all humility, and I'll calm down and I'll sit down when I say it. <laughs> I would say, thank you for saying that. You're right. That's what I believe. And I believe it with everything in me, and I stake my entire soul on it. But you believe something too. See, that's the beautiful thing. Every human being believes something. <laughs> I've studied most of the atheists and, and agnostics over the years. David Hume was one of the leading atheist writers during the Enlightenment. I visited his grave in Edinburgh when I was there once. And, and, and David Hume didn't believe about anything about the afterlife. He believed that once you die at six feet under, lights out. But he believed something. And he staked his soul on it. So don't ever let anybody tell you, well, that's just what you believe. Well, of course it is. I just told you that's what I believe. But, but why don't you tell me what you believe and let's match them up together and see which one gives more hope. <laughs> Pascal, the great mathematician and philosopher, once worded this in such a way that it's become known as Pascal's wager. He, he once said, if I'm right, I get to spend all eternity of, with Jesus. If you're right, well, what's the loss? <laughs> His logic was basically that if there's any merit at all to what the Bible says here, then we need to give credence to it because it could be the greatest news to ever hit humankind. That there's not just a hope here and now, but that there might be an eternal hope, that there is an eternal hope through Jesus. That's why Easter matters. So we have a hope in the here and now. We have a hope eternally. And then notice, finally, we've got just about six minutes left. Notice a third way that the resurrection of Jesus brings hope. And we won't spend as much time on this, but it's worth noting. And that is that the resurrection of Jesus offers a universal hope. <laughs> In fact, I'll say it very crassly. The resurrection of Jesus is a one-size-fits-all hope, meaning it's for everybody. Look at how Peter, one of Jesus' most... Uh, colorful and, and passionate followers said it in his letters that he wrote. I'm going to string together two verses, one from each letter. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So that's what we've been focusing on today. You and I got hope. We can live anew through this resurrection of Jesus. Then he goes on to say in his second letter that God is not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance to know him. So don't miss the link there. He's saying that you and I got this hope in Jesus, 
But then don't ever forget, it's a hope that God extends to everybody on planet Earth. He wants everybody to come home to him. And the same hope that you and I have, let's not be selfish about it. Let's shout it from the mountaintops. Or if you're more of a softer personality like my brother, let's share it in our own way with those around us. In fact, let's see every single person around us as someone having redemptive potential, as somebody who is never beyond the scope of God's grace. And what an amazing challenge to Christians today because many of us today are seen by those outside the fold as a bunch of intense, angry people. You ever notice that? They see us as people who are just mad at the world around them. And I get it. There might be a lot to be frustrated with. But at the end of the day, God is a God of immense love and grace. That's what has saved your pathetic soul, by the way. And it's, he's a God who loves you and in his great mercy has saved you. And that same grace that has saved you, he now offers to the whole world. Once in a while, somebody will say to me, man, you Christians are so exclusive. Like you're always saying, Jesus is the only way and da, 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 and all this. And, and I correct them very lovingly. And I'll say, well, I think you got it backwards. Because when Jesus was on this earth, he was seen as one of the most inclusive people to ever hit this planet. He rubs shoulders with prostitutes, he rubs shoulders with wayward IRS agents. He rubs shoulders with military people, poor, rich, fishermen. He rubs shoulders with anybody and everybody. And he opened his arms wide and said, come ye, come all. And it was actually scandalous. The only ones that really didn't like Jesus were the religious leaders of the day, the ones who were so close-minded. And I fear sometimes that you and I are becoming like that. I fear sometimes that those of us who are intense in our faith don't go like this to an onlooking world and remind them that the hope that we have is universal in nature. In summary, if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. And it's where I started this morning with my, the story of my brother Pete. We all need hope because we all love hope. It does something to our souls that makes us feel better about ourselves. And if it can work that way with the simple things of life, imagine what could happen if you got fired up about Easter, if you got fired up about this resurrection that happened in history and can change your life today, in the here and now, for all eternity, universal in scope. I wanna leave you with one last thought. It's a quote from a guy named Frederick Buechner. Buechner's about 94 years old this year. Uh, Buechner is one of the better theologians of this past century, respected across denominational lines. He uh, studied at Princeton and then taught at Yale and, and was a really good writer, is a very good writer. And, and Buechner once said this in one of his writings, I love this quote. He said, to come together as people who believe that just maybe this gospel is actually true should be to come together like people who have just won the Irish sweepstakes. <laughs> Some of the younger people aren't laughing. Uh, the Irish sweepstakes is, is kind of like the Super Bowl, uh, but with, with horse racing. And, and so what he's saying is, is that it's okay to get fired up on Easter. I don't know what it was like in the other campuses and venues, but in this room here, I was watching some of you, our young people who are leading us in worship uh, this past year, our younger people. Man, they were fired up today, could you tell? I mean, they were excited. And just so you know, that's not a show. I know these guys and gals. That's in their hearts. They are so fired up 
about their faith. They are so fired up about Jesus and, and the hope that he's given them that they love to jump up and down at times. And, and so please know that they're following Beekner's advice here. They get more excited about Jesus than they do about anything else in their lives. And if a Super Bowl or an Irish sweepstakes is worth shouting over and jumping up and down over, then so is a resurrection, amen? Jesus once said there is more partying going on in heaven, more excitement among the angels when one person repents than anything else that would happen that year. Heaven's throwing a party, we should too, but you gotta latch on to his resurrection because that's where your hope is found. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for a day like today where we can gather together here and even online and celebrate something that is absolutely core to our faith, this resurrection of our Savior. And God, I pray for one here who's coming out of a rough year, kind of beat up and bruised and maybe even a bit hopeless. Give them hope. Remind them that your grace knows no end and that your grace is centered laser beam focused on Jesus. And that in Jesus and his resurrection, they got a hope here and now, they got a hope eternally, and it's for everyone, including them. May that excite us. May that spur us on into the year ahead. May we know that you're a God of hope. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.